Hi, and welcome to the world of sports. I'm Joey Mantia, Olympic speed skater and polar athlete, and you're listening to Champions of Data, a podcast by Polar where we talk about all things sports, fitness, and performance. We'll be chatting to some of the top athletes, coaches, and scientists in the sports world to bring you the best tips on how to train smarter and become the athlete you want to be. Today, we're going to come back to one of every athlete's favorite topics, recovery. We have a special guest from Polar's in-house research team, sports scientist Daniela Schaefer-Olstead, who specializes in training load and recovery research. Daniela is going to talk to us about recovery from the scientist's perspective. She'll explain to us what recovery actually means and what type of things affect it. We'll also hear about balancing training load and recovery and the best ways to track them. And if you've ever wondered what supercompensation is, you're about to find out. But first, Daniela will tell us a little bit about herself. Yes, uh, my name is Daniela Schäfer-Ulster. And um, I studied uh, human movement science and late afterwards did a PhD in health science uh, sports medicine. I have been passionate about um, endurance sports all my life. So I also competed in several um, endurance competitions. My favorite sport is cross-country skiing. That's also why I did... uh, cross-country skiing coaching degree and I coached uh, youth athletes uh, and also educated cross-country skiing coaches. I became interested in studying recovery because um, I had a hard time figuring out why my competitors kicked my butt when I was a young athlete even though I trained more and harder than them and um so I had to learn in a way, in a hard way, that it is not just about the training, but it's about having the right balance between training and recovery that gives success. And later during my coaching career, I figured out that finding this right balance is actually very difficult. So I became very interested in, in uh, doing research in, in this field. Now, recovery is one of the most important factors in a pro athlete's training, but what does that term actually entail and how would a scientist define recovery? So recovery is regarded as a multi-phased restorative process relative to time. When talking about recovery from sports, we usually talk about restorative processes to recover from the training stimulus And these processes include physiological and psychological recovery processes and also recovery strategies. Physiological and psychological processes tell, for example, how your muscles or your cardiovascular system recover from the training or how you mentally recover. And recovery strategies include approaches with the aim to make the recovery process go faster, for example, by getting enough sleep and eating properly. So what about the different ways to recover? Should we just lie on the couch or are there other options? According to Professor Michael Kalman from the Ruhr University in Bochum in Germany, there are three different ways to to recover. So he talks about the active, the passive and the proactive approach to recovery. Passive method includes, for example, yeah, laying on the couch or getting a massage so you don't have to be active. But And then the active recovery, that would include 
um, activities such as, for example, cool down jogging and the proactive recovery that includes, for example, social activities that are targeted to your needs, like, for example, go for a coffee with a friend. Yeah, I guess the, the, the thing there is that it gives you sort of energy if you do social activities, of course, only if you like them. <laughs> what kind of things affect the amount of time an athlete needs to recover from a training session? Well, the training load itself has a large effect on the recovery time. If you do a hard and long exercise, you will definitely need longer to recover than if you do a short and easy workout. The time needed for recovery is also very different between individuals and the reason for this is that fit and well-trained people, they recover much quicker than unfit and untrained uh, individuals. Um, besides the training itself, there are also a lot of other aspects that influence your recovery time. They include, for example, um, your sleep, your, your diet, your mental stress and your psychosocial well-being. In other words, you could summarize those as, as your lifestyle. Also, your health affects your recovery. So you probably have noticed that if you are sick, you need longer recovery time. And also the environment you're exposed to can have an effect on your recovery. For example, you need a longer recovery time if you are exposed to heat, altitude or, or humidity. So as the health status and your lifestyle affect your recovery, it also means that even if you do exactly the same training session, um, it can be that one time you need longer to recover than another time. I tried to explain that also with an example. So, for example, if I go on a six hours bike ride, I will be pretty exhausted from it. But if a professional cyclist is doing that, that will not cause a lot of fatigue because he's used to this workout. But the recovery time from exactly the same workout can be different both for me and the professional cyclist because it also depends what else is going on in our life. For example, if I had a poor night's sleep or if I have a lot of stress at work or I was arguing with my husband, um, I will most likely need a longer time to recover than usual. So as Daniela mentioned, training load is one of the biggest factors when thinking about recovery time. But what exactly is training load? The stress of any training session is what we call training load and training load can be assessed from two different but complementary concepts. They include internal and external training loads. Monitoring internal and external training loads is also what the International Olympic Committee can consensus statement on load in sports and risk of injury recommends. External load describes how much work has been done during a training session and it can be assessed, for example, by measuring distance, speed or, or power. And the internal load refers to the physiological response to the work that you have done and it sort of reflects your, your effort and it can be measured with physiological and psychological measures as, for example, heart rate, blood lactate concentration, oxygen uptake or your perceived exertion, so-called RPE. 
So when calculating the external load, we can therefore just calculate the average power and multiply that by the duration. This is also what we do in um, Polar's so-called muscle load. Uh, yeah, those of you that have done high-intensity workouts know just too well that if you do something very, very intensive, then you need a longer time to recover. Therefore, the problem with internal load measures or measures of effort are that we need to differentiate between intensity levels of training. So sports physiologist Eric Bannister, he was the first one to recognize this and he figured out that the blood lactate level rises exponentially during intense exercise. And using this fractional elevation in heart rate plotted against the blood lactate, he was able to create a weighting factor to give more weight to higher intensities. Training impulse, also known as TRIMP, was the term Bannister used to refer to this integration between time, intensity and the relative weighting of the exercise intensity to describe the exercise dose as a single number of training load. And this trim has been used in many, many research studies and it's also widely used in, in practice, um, both in endurance and team sports. And this is why we at Polar decided to use a slightly modified version of the TRIMP to assess the cardiovascular strain of a training session, and we call that cardio load in polar terminology. And the polar perceived load, that's um, the product of the RPE multiplied by the duration of the workout. Our polar chose to offer the monitoring of these three different loads as they provide a holistic understanding on the demands of a training session on both our body and our mind. They also allow the internal to external load ratio calculation that can be used as a training status surveillance tool. Training load is just one thing that causes stress to the body, but stress can come from other areas of life too. For example, if you're in school, if you have a family, work, things like that. How should an athlete take that into account and are there ways to differentiate them? Yeah, differentiating between stress from training and stress from something else than training is not always easy because the symptoms might be quite similar. For example, you can sleep poorly or you can feel fatigue, um, both as a cause of too much training and also as a cause of having lots of um, stress at work, for example. A possible solution to try to identify whether the stress came from training or from something else is to track um, training, but also other aspects in life. Um, for example, at Polar, we track the training and we check whether you did more training recently compared to what you are usually doing. And if that is the case, so if you trained more what you normally do, it could be that a reason why you, for example, feel fatigue is that, yeah, you have a training overload. And you can do uh, the same thing with in other areas. For example, there are scientifically validated psychological questionnaires. So if you answer those questionnaires on a regular basis, you could also figure out when you suddenly have more mental stress. And if so, 
this could be a reason why you're feeling tired. And your diet also affects your recovery. So you should um, make sure that the energy you consume is covering your energy expenditure. And you should also keep in mind that the environment has an effect on your recovery. So it might be worth to also track environmental changes, like, for example, um, heat altitude or humidity exposure. Now we're going to talk about something really interesting, and you may have heard the term supercompensation before, but it can be a very tricky concept to grasp. Let's hear how a scientist would define it. Yeah, you probably all experienced that you feel more tired after a training session compared to before. So what happens from physiological point of view is that training disturbs your biological state and it reduces your performance. But luckily, the human body is an adaptive organism and it will adjust itself to a higher level of performance after recovery time. And this adjustment to a higher level of performance is called supercompensation. So if you do your next training session at a time when supercompensation occurs, you will have the highest improvement in your performance. And in that sense, yes, it should definitely be something athletes are aiming for. On the other hand, if you train too much and you're not able to recover between training sessions, you might get fatigue and it can also lead to a decrease in your performance and maybe even injury or illness. And if you train too little, like when you have the super compensation, but you're not taking advantage of it and you just uh, rest uh, longer, you will not get any better. But of course, uh, more complex variations are possible. For example, if you go to a training camp, you often aim to do the next training session before you're completely recovered. But you also aim to have a longer recovery time after the training camp. So it's not just black and white, but there are different um, variations of supercompensation. Going overboard for a short time in a controlled manner is okay when proper rest follows, but you should not exaggerate it. Following the principle of supercompensation or, in other words, doing the right training at the right time sounds very simple, but finding this right timing is actually very difficult, um, not only for newcomers, but also for professional athletes and also for their coaches. One of the reasons for that is that everyone reacts differently to training, even on professional level, like even if you have similar physiological um, constitution and similar training background, you might react quite differently to the same training stimulus. And also, it's not just the training itself that affects the supercompensation, but also the what happens during your recovery. So, for example, also your lifestyle has an effect effect on it and therefore it's important to track also the recovery process and not just the training load itself. So in your opinion, how can an athlete find the right balance between training and recovery? So training is not about who trains the most or the hardest, but the key to success is to find the right balance between training and recovery. And finding the right balance is not easy. Um 
also not for professional athletes and coaches that are very experienced. In order to find the right balance, you need to track your training load and also your response to it. And with your response to it, I mean that you need to assess your recovery status to know if you are recovered enough and ready for the next training session or if you need to rest a bit longer because it's about finding the right time for the next training session. There is unfortunately no recipe that fits all because everyone reacts differently, um, even on professional level. But as a rule of thumb, I would say living a healthy lifestyle, including healthy diet, good sleep and low mental stress, as well as applying recovery strategies, such as doing proper cool down after a training session or for example, apply cold water immersion or sauna bathing can help you to recover faster. So as an athlete, should I actually track my recovery or is it enough just to listen to my body? So there are many ways how you can measure your recovery and they include physiological, biochemical, biomechanical and perceived recovery. Just to name a few physical measures, for example, include regular performance tests or measurement of sleep or the autonomic nervous system, while biomechanical measures include measures of inflammation, hormones or muscle glycogen. And examples for biomechanical measures are assessment of neuromuscular performance and also locomotor efficiency and subjective perceived or Psychological recovery would, for example, include the assessment of your feeling of fatigue or soreness or pain or anxiety or your motivation and also signs of depression. In, in scientific sports literature, commonly applied psychological questionnaires are the profile of mood state questionnaire, also called POMS, and the recovery stress questionnaire for athletes. At Polar, we are currently using the assessment of the autonomic nervous system, sleep and perceived recovery to assess your recovery status and also your readiness to train. The autonomic nervous system is assessed via heart rate and heart rate variability and breathing rate. Heart rate variability, which is the variation of time intervals between consecutive heartbeats is considered a reliable measure to indirectly estimate the autonomic nervous system control of your heart. And this method or heart rate variability as a method allows us to estimate both the autonomic nervous system status and sleep structure in real life settings. There are several studies that reported changes in heart rate and heart rate variability during training overload, but also during sleep deprivation, altitude or heat exposure, high mental or social stress and during disease. Therefore, heart rate variability measures are very helpful to assess the training readiness of an athlete, considering all the challenges an athlete faces in his daily life including stress from training, but also including stress from the time outside training. And the sleep plays an essential role in physiological and psychological recovery, as well as general well-being. And therefore, we also track the amount and quality of your sleep 
Polar measures several quality parameters such as interruptions, continuity and sleep stages. Polar has also developed sleep score that tells how well you have slept compared to the indicators of good sleep according to current sleep science. Autonomic nervous system is regulating autonomic um, processes in our body. Autonomic means that they are not done voluntarily. For example, it regulates your heart rate or your um, breathing rate. Now, for example, it regulates your heart rate and you can't steer that voluntarily. So you can't decide, okay, now I want my heart rate to be uh, 60 beats per minute. So this is automatically done by the autonomic nervous system. So how, how can I tell if I haven't recovered properly? Yeah, you must be pretty experienced if you know if you're recovered enough. If you don't have data, you need to guess if you're recovered or not. And as recovery is so important for, for performance, I would say it's better to rely on data than on, on guesses. It's better to be safe than sorry. And also... The feedback we got from professional athletes is that they have a gut feeling on how recovered they are, but they really appreciate to measure their recovery and see data to confirm their own feeling and to make sure that they are on the right track. Yeah, if your muscles are very sore, it might be a good idea to wait until the worst soreness is over before you do your next exercise. But having sore muscles is nothing dangerous per se. But um, if you have a lot of pain, you might apply a bit of different technique during your training. And using a bit of different technique is something your body is not used to and could maybe cause a higher uh, risk for injuries. So instead, you can do a different kind of exercise, like, for example, endurance training if you are sore from lifting weights or working out your upper body if you have sore legs. These days, many athletes track their performance and recovery with a sports watch. What do you do if you're in a situation where you're feeling okay and you're ready to train, but the watch says it would be better to slow down? Well, if your watch tells you you should slow down, I would recommend you to follow this advice. The reason for this is that several studies show that training adapted to the recovery status assessed by heart rate variability led to similar or better improvements in performance compared to professionally designed training plan plans, but with less training. And these heart rate variability measures are strongly considered in our recovery feedback and training advices. We also have um, an own study that uh, showed that a group that followed the training according to or recovery feedback from the orthostatic test improved their performance similar compared to professionally designed training plan, but with significantly less training. So in a way, it helps you to train smarter. But of course, if the watch tells you to slow down and you're in the middle of a training camp <laughs> where you plan to be tired and recover properly afterwards, you can still, of course, continue. But be aware that you should not ignore signs of poor recovery for too long. And yeah, really make sure that 
you recover properly afterwards. From a scientist's perspective, what would actually happen to your body if you ignore recovery? Well, if you ignore the balance between training and recovery, you can get um, prolonged fatigue and you can get into overtraining or you can get an injury or, or illness. So that's kind of the worst case scenario. And it also reduces your performance. Signs of insufficient recovery may include symptoms such as reduced maximal and submaximal performance, um, muscle soreness, stiffness and fatigue, or you feel constantly tired. Uh, signs can also be changed heart rate and heart rate variability or that you fall sick more often than usual. Um, signs can be reduced hormonal balance, for example, in women that they will not have their menstrual bleeding uh, regularly anymore. It can also be disordered eating or poor sleep or depression, um, loss of motivation and also reduced mental concentration. So these are just some examples of signs you, you could look for. And some of these symptoms are rather difficult to monitor on a daily basis, like, for example, your hormonal status. Um, so I would say it's most important to monitor sleep, mood, performance and changes in heart rate and heart rate variability. So what are your options if you haven't recovered properly? Should you skip a workout altogether or just take it easy? What do you suggest? No, in most cases, there is no need to skip a workout completely if we measure poor recovery or you're feeling tired. I would say the beauty is more that you adapt your training accordingly. For example, if your cardio system is not recovered, what Polar measures with assessing your heart rate variability, you can still do muscle training. On the other hand, when your muscles are sore from um, lifting too much weights, you can still do cardio training. And even if your cardio recovery is compromised, you can, in many cases, still go for uh, short and very light cardio training. Um, Polar takes this into account and not just measures your recovery, but also gives you tips what training you could do with your recovery or with your current recovery status. Um, either through Recovery Pro or the FitSpark features. Our FitSpark gives you daily training suggestions um, taken also into account your uh, night sleep and your autonomic nervous system status. What kind of tools does Polar provide for athletes to track the recovery? With the cardio load status, we relate the training you have done within the past week to the training you have done within the past month. So basically, it allows us to check if you did more or less training than what you're used to. If you did much less training than usual, you are likely to be detraining. And if you did much more training than usual, you could be overreaching. But I want to highlight here that it's important to understand that this is only an estimate on how much training you can tolerate based on your own training history. The response to training is very individual, even for professional athletes. 
uh, with similar physiological composition and similar training background. Some individuals can much better tolerate a training overload. And with training overload, I mean considerably more training than than usual um, compared to others. On top of that, we also know that other factors than training itself affect your recovery, like, for example, how you eat and sleep and how much um, mental stress you have. So if you want to know your own recovery status and readiness to train, you should therefore measure your recovery and use polar recovery features such as nightly recharge and recovery pro uh, instead of adapting your training based on training load measures. Only then we can tell you how you are really doing considering also stressors from outside training and not just from the training itself. What advice would you give to athletes who find it challenging to balance training, recovery and a hectic lifestyle? Well, I would recommend them to try to sleep enough eat healthy and reserve some time to do things that give them energy every day. I would also recommend them to do a proper cool down after each training session to accelerate the recovery and to being flexible with their training. I mean that they should be flexible to move a key training session to another day if they measure poor recovery. This is because it's not about training the most, but about making the smartest out of the resources one has available. Well, thanks, Daniela, for taking the time to talk to us about the importance of recovery. That's going to do it for this episode of the Champions of Data podcast by Polar. Our next episode is a special treat for all runners out there. Our guest is the long-distance runner Molly Hudla, who will be sharing some of her insights on training, racing, and staying motivated. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please go and subscribe, and you'll be among the first to hear our top tips for training smarter straight from the athletes, coaches, and experts. Until next time, happy training.